All right, bradcooney.com. I have a special guest tonight. He is best known for his appearances on the hit TV show Pawn Stars, and he's the principal authenticator for Beckett Authentic Authentication Services. Welcome, Mr. Steve Grad. What's happening? What's the good word? What is the good word? The good word is I don't have COVID, and gas prices are coming down a little bit. <laughs> Ironically enough, I have a, I have a Tesla, and I'm, I'm actually charging my Tesla right now. So yeah. uh, I, I had a gas guzzler forever for a bunch of them, and finally I just went electric. So, you know, I mean, I had, I had Hellcats. Yeah, man. The, for, me, the, for me, I'm all about electric. I'm all about the cleaning the environment, too. I'm just uh, a guy that's 300 pounds, so i got to wait for the electric cars to get something a little bit bigger. Before, before I can get in there. <laughs> and, well, I hope it works out, dude. Yeah, yeah man, for sure. All right, bro. Yeah. So, um, first and foremost, I have about twenty thousand social media followers. They're excited about about this interviews because I've been I've been teasing it out there for a little bit, and um, we're gonna get you up on iHeart and Spotify and and um, iTunes, all bunch of places. It'll be it'll be it'll be available. Um, so tell my listeners a little bit about you. Go back a little bit. Tell us how you first got into the whole world of autograph authenticating. I, I think it all started as an easy path where actually so many guys I know um, in the business, you know, people I graft with or I call it graphing, but autographs. But you know, I really started off as just a little kid, you know, eight years old, really seven, eight years old. My grandmother introduced me to autographs she collected, then baseball cards, Star Wars cards, all that stuff around 77, 78 range. And I started going to the ballpark and getting autographs back in Chicago, Comiskey Park, where the White Sox played. And I just developed a love for collecting. And I think I kind of regret it. Now. I, I look back and I say, you know what? I collected cards and did that up until like 88 or 89 when, you know, it was like the doldrums, you know, it was mm. really tough to be a collector then. The stuff was awful. And at least the newer stuff. So I kind of went towards autographs and um, I really got into it. I think I will tell you this much. I think there's a common theme among collectors is they get passionate about something and they get driven and it takes them. And that's kind of how autographs was for me. And it started when I was a young kid and it eventually evolved and you know I think for a collector you start accumulating this stuff and you start sorting it and you're like man this is cool and I just met so and so and got him and I sent to Jim Henson in the mail and he wrote me back and hmm. then it's like oh I met this guy and I met Schwarzenegger and you know it evolved into collecting full-time then selling some stuff then working at auction house and then in 2001 at the end of 2001 right after 9-11 I got a call from uh, PSA. They were recruiting me to work for them and uh, went out to work in Pennsylvania for a few years in California from uh, 2000, I want to say October 2004 through 2016 to September. And, you know, then Beckett started with me with 2016. Um, and here I am, you know. And wow. I think it's a path. It's been fun. Um, I will tell you this much. I'm very lucky to be able to do the job, and yeah. I think we'll just, and you know, the, the one thing, I, I understand there's a lot of criticisms of people that give opinions on stuff, and you know what, man, I'd like to say we're 100% accurate, but no one is on the planet. Right. There's you know, not even a computer, so uh, we do our best. We have a great team of guys that works for us, um, great knowledge base. We have consultants, and I've always kind of, you know, we've always surrounded ourselves with people that maybe specialize in something a little more unique or, you know, you can't know everything either, right? You right. can't. So, and that's kind of the path I took to get here. And then to maintain it, you know, just keep working. And um, right. the job, the job is, is hustle, bustle, shows, uh, customer places, auction houses, you know, occasionally someone's house. I don't do that much anymore. And uh, we have an office now. Uh, we're starting in Vegas, which we haven't officially opened, but are soon. So, <laughs> you know, I stay busy because I get I get a ton of stuff there on a weekly basis. So it's it's a nonstop thing for me. Wow. So so has has pretty much this world of 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 collect collecting things and autographs and authenticating has it pretty much been your only career? Like like all the way uh -huh. come out of high school. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, you know, for a while I worked for my dad's company and, yeah. you know, I was 
just just a stopgap. And I had little jobs here and there, but I really wanted to work in radio, and I went to school for it. Um, I finished a little shy of, you know, uh, my journalism degree. I was finished all those classes, but I didn't finish a couple basic classes. And I worked in radio, actually, and I had to quit college, basically, to go work in radio full time. Mm. And I did that from about 95, really about 94, but full time about 95, 96 through 99, 2000 range. And I walked away from that because, honestly, I'm making money. And... Mm. Um, it was it was grueling, and I did uh, some show hosting on one-on-one sports radio network, which turned into sporting news, and I have no idea if they're still around, but I worked for them for a while, and before that, I was on a few morning shows. I was on Mankind's Morning Madhouse in Chicago, oh, yeah. people are listening. Um, but, you know, things evolve. You change your career, time moves on, and mm-hmm. now here I am as an autograph authenticator for... Uh, you know, over 20 years, 21, going on 21 years. So, so talk a little bit more about Beckett Authentication Services. Um, like, tell, tell the listeners a little bit more about it. Well, they, you know, we're kind of this umbrella of Beckett Collectibles where we have, uh, you know, the comic book section, you know, mm-hmm. which is a, a, does comics. We have card grading. We have VHS grading now. Um, and then, obviously, you know, the autograph stuff. And it's under this big umbrella. And we have an office in Dallas, obviously, we get submissions there all the time. We have a staff that works out of there. And then, you know, because the work doesn't always, it's hard to get the work to come to you. You have to go to it, too. Mm-hmm. And so we have guys positioned, you know, experts, uh, Atlanta, uh, Oakland area, uh, East Coast, um, and then in Dallas, then myself. And then we have a kind of a little support crew that works with us and, you know, goes on the road. And we've got guys in California and uh, guys in Denver and guys out east and, you know, guys pretty much all over the place that work with us. And then we also do a big, you know, a big part of authentication now, and it wasn't years ago, and boy, I wish I would have thought about this back in 02, but is the witness work uh, that gets done, and it's extensive. <laughs> and uh, we have Beckett witnessed and we witness, I couldn't tell you, it's hard to say six years ago, I could tell you we're doing, you know, 40 signings a, a month. Wow. I, I, there's some days where we might witness 40 signings in a day. Wow. So it's turned into a, a crazy business, and it's it's a never-ending thing. It's it, it, I'm kind of shocked at it because I've watched <laughs> this entire business just explode through the years, and especially this aspect of it has been great. Obviously, we know the card side of it is crazy, but... This side has gone completely mad too because when it all started, you had really no authentication. You had the Wild West back in, you know, 99, 98 when PSA first brought in a group of five guys, including Jim Spence, to be a panel to look at autographs. And Jim Spence finally took it over about 2000, I think, or 2001 by himself. But it's evolved to that and it's crazy what it's turned into. And it's a full time business for a lot of people. And it's a full-time job, you know, for a handful of us. Well, so it's, it's a good problem to have. I promise you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, I think that's one thing I would agree with you. It is a good problem to have, and yep. our guys stay very busy yep. uh, doing the stuff. I mean, I can't, I can't even, you know, stress it enough. But you know, I, the one that I do do want to tell people, it's like the job isn't easy. It's a lot of stress. It's a yep. lot of pressure. The uh, the trolls I've dealt with through the years are ridiculous. Uh, the accusations there's been. I have a restraining order on oh. someone that just, I think it just ended last month. I had a three-year restraining order against uh, against an autograph dealer threatening to kill me. So, Jesus. Yeah, so it tells you kind of how crazy the business is. People think it's all fun and games, and I might laugh and smile on TV a lot, and I do it in regular life too, but there's also a lot of stuff that comes along with it and a lot of pressure. Sure. And we want to make sure, right, I, if we're on center stage, and we're working for the big auction houses, you know, the heritages of the world, the SDPs, and and you're doing their stuff. You better make sure you're getting it right, and you're mm-hmm. making the right call, and you're you know you're you're getting all the facts straight because it's very important, and it always has been to me. So you know, and, you know, my, gr- my right I, I'm sorry. Right, go go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. There's a little bit of a delay, so we're kind of stepping on. Well, you finish your thought. Well, I was going to tell you, and you could go after that. Uh, is that one of the great things we have is a punt. Mm-hmm. And that lets us kind of walk away and be in the middle on it, and we use it a lot. You know, even on low-end items, because 
it just it's it's safer sometimes and i think that's where we get sometimes it's like it's a good feeling it's okay we can always review it we can always go back to it we're just going to leave our decision in the middle and it you know years ago when you start off in the business especially years of psa or beckett it's hard to leave money on the table with people because you want to do the work for them they're paying you for it sometimes i think the safe route is also okay yeah for sure and you know there's an old saying my grandfather used to tell me many many years ago success breeds hate it's a really it's a powerful thing if you were some obscure authenticator that nobody really heard of do you really think you'd have all these trolls and haters and people trying to threaten you and so when success comes unfortunately it comes that hate too and it's just one of them deals where it totally sucks man but it's like it's just part of it unfortunately it's really terrible it is it's it's i think it's an unfortunate part of life and we see you know celebrities get it all the time and sports stars mm -hmm. and you know having thick skin is part of it and it's it could be quite difficult but i i will tell you the one thing about that is i learned to turn my back on it uh many years ago and there was a group of guys down in florida um just bad people who could and they're still out there they could really never get through and you know the thing that happened three years ago is the, the, an autograph dealer out of the blue during a deposition that was videoed and you know uh, recorded it and witnessed you know threatened to kill me and said Jeez. how he was going to kill me and uh, I ended up taking him out filing suit against them in California and having a three-year restraining order put on him so and that's a real thing I have you know it's all documented and and it's wow. there the guy's you know out of his mind and uh you know whether it affected him or not i don't know but it's there and it's factual and it's people like that that i just want to steer clear from the rest of my life mm -hmm. and if people want to hate go ahead man that's it. Best, have fun. put them in the rear view and just keep on motoring forward brother that's all that's all and that's what do yeah if someone does it on twitter i mute them you can follow me yeah but if you're gonna trash me i'll just mute you there you go you, you mean absolutely nothing to me absolutely i hear you man believe me um yeah. I, I'm not at this quite at the same level as you are, but I am in two films, and since I've been in the two films, I, I got some of that bull crap going on too. It's 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 unfortunate, I'm man. To hear that. What films? I mean, I'm in a I'm in a documentary called The House in Between, and then we just released a sequel in June. It's on Prime, it's on Vudu, it's on about 20 different streaming platforms. It's about a house that we've been we've been investigating paranormal activity in it for for. Well, I've been there for seven years doing a case study on it, and the guy I'm working with has been there for 14 years. So we have 21, 21 years of experience in one location. And um, it's directed by Steve Gonzalez, who's, who's one of the pioneers in the field. He's, uh, I don't know if you ever watched the TV show Ghost Hunters on Sci-Fi Channel. Sure. sure. You know Steve, the guy with all the tattoos? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, our, yeah that's, so. that's our director, um, good friend of ours. But anyway, this is your interview, so let's get back on you. <laughs> hey, dude, by the way, I love that stuff. And funny enough, like, falling asleep last night, I was watching some a paranormal show. And mm -hmm. uh, about, it was about, it was cool. It was about uh, these unexplained hand prints, mm. like high on walls in this person's house. It was cool. Interesting, interesting, yeah. Well, definitely check us out, man. It's, uh, you can, whenever you're in a hotel, just looking to kill some time or something. The house in between. Um, I will. All right, so let's, let's 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 get some fun stuff here. So, I'm interested in the history of autographs. It's, a, it's I've always been intrigued with autographs myself, and I, and I had a pretty little collection coming up over the years. Um, historically speaking, if you know, how far back does this this whole thing go with autographs and collectibles? And have you researched like how far back this goes? Well, yeah, I mean, people were collecting autographs, you know, I, I'd say, I'd say even before the, uh, I mean, I don't know, you know, George Washington, if people were writing him as much, but people were definitely writing Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses Grant and, and people were getting, you know, there's in-person Abraham Lincoln autographs, although they're very rare. Um, and it goes back even before that, where people put together autograph books and they were a little different. They weren't those little ones from the. 30s, 40s, 50s, we see so much. They're kind of a little bigger, but people are bringing those around. I have a friend uh, who started, who this guy had started one about 1890. And, you know, I see stuff dated way before that. Um, people were just collecting stuff, and they were into autographs. And, I, and I'm trying to think. I don't want to misquote myself here, so I'm going to say I think mm -hmm. 
their earliest request I saw for a written request for Babe Ruth's autograph was like 1920 or 21. It was in that range. I have, I think I have it in my files, uh, the letter someone wrote to him. Mm -hmm. And it's been a thing, you know, but he's the guy. I mentioned him because, quite truthfully, I think he revolutionized autograph collecting. And if you go back and just go to Google and type in Babe Ruth signing baseball, you will come up with a plethora of photos of him signing some of them in rooms where he's signing a whole damn room of baseball. Oh, wow. I mean, he's the guy, I think, that really kicked it in the high gear. Were people collecting before then? Sure. Could you get Ty Cobb's autograph in 1915 on a baseball? Absolutely. I've seen him early, and he'd sign the side panel. But Ruth would grab that ball and sign it right on the sweet spot, and he kind of changed everything. And he, he changed the whole dynamic. But it was Babe Ruth who really did. And, you know, you had many movie stars, even uh, Rudolph Valentino, uh, back then, who was using a stamp because he had so many requests. Oh, wow. Before. You know, I'm talking like the uh, mid to late 20s, or mid, mid-20s probably. You know, Harry Houdini, before he passed away, was a great autograph signer. You see a lot of his autograph out there, uh, books, photos, you know, letters. They're all out there. Um, the people are collecting. It's just... It's collecting, you know, I, I think it's, it transcends generations, you know? Man, think about it for myself. My grandmother got me in autograph collecting, but she was going, she met Herbert Hoover and Jackie Robinson and all these people oh, wow. through the years, and her sister did it. And my mom went with um, her aunt to do it, you know? And it just kind of grows with you through the years. I, my kids are kind of into it, but they're older. I have two daughters that are 22 and 18, and they, they have little collections of stuff they've enjoyed. And it's just something that's, you know, kind of fun to do. I, I think that a lot of people, you know, Jim Spence I work with. Uh, Jim Spence is GSA, used to be part of PSA. But Jim's like a third-generation autograph collector. His grandfather, his father, him. I mean, you pass it kind of down, you know. And it's, I think it's a part of, when you collect, man, it's like a, I don't know, it's kind of a sickness. But I will tell you that, I, I, I can segue to tell you that, once you get away from it, it's a good thing, too. And I've, I've recently started moving a lot of my collection, uh, privately selling or publicly selling it at auctions. And, um, you know, I've sold a big chunk of my stuff just because I'm 52. Uh, who knows what tomorrow brings? And quite honestly, um, I want to enjoy the finer things in life, too. And that includes traveling across the globe and doing nice things. And I don't want to be possibly in a walker or motorized wheelchair or Whatever it is, when I'm 75, you know, trying to walk, uh, walk in Italy or go to Italy, I want to do it on my own, yeah. on my own two feet. So, to me at least, those things are better to enjoy. I just bought a new house here in Vegas, mm -hmm. so I, I want to enjoy those things in life before it's gone. Because, quite truthfully, I've been at this job for 21 years, so almost 21 years. If I go 21 years in the future, because it's gone like a snap. I'm going to be 73 years old. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to enjoy it while it's here. So I'm going to make the most of it. I have, I, I will tell you that I've been very fortunate collecting wise. Um, obviously people might say, boy, I don't know if it's fair what you're going to say. I'm going to say this. I've had an advantage to buy stuff for the most part because I usually know if it's good or bad and it's helped me out through the years. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's, you know, two sides to look at it, but I'm also been a collector all these years and assembled one of the biggest Star Wars autograph collections, Metallica, uh, Indiana Jones, you know, all those collections I've had, they're gigantic. They're, they're immersive. They're insane. And I put them all together through the years, but at some point you got to say goodbye to it. And my kids, quite honestly, they don't care. And what, <laughs> if I honestly, most people, I, I have so many stories of people passing away. And my friend John Stanzik died. Uh, what is it? Uh, I think. Last week was the anniversary. Chicago collector, I believe he was 48 when he died. Oh, 49. Wow. He had a half million autographs that he'd gotten, almost all in person. And he had no plan for them. He died. Hmm. And uh, they, they sat in purgatory for years until the court system figured it out. And it was a mess between an ex-girlfriend and his mom. And it was a disaster. But... That's not the thing you do. Plan for the future if you're a collector. And if you're putting together a great collection, which I know many people are, either insure it or have a plan for it or have it authenticated. So when you pass away unexpectedly or if you don't, but if you pass away at some point, you've got some 
you know, uh, that person that's going to get rid of it for you, because someone will, it's at least certified. It's authenticated. Yeah, and those are things that make a big difference. It's really good advice. Um, what, as far as when you look back when you first got into authenticating, um, and then fast forward to today, what has changed as far as what you do as far as um, maybe techniques or, or technology? Talk about how it was when you first got into it and what are some of the advances that that's the, uh, your field has gone through? Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the first time I worked at PSA was March of 2002. And for the most part, we used six, we had six or seven black three ring binders filled with exemplars and then we had a, a travelable like one we would bring on the road that was like a file that was heavy and those are the things we used when we went places and um at the time if you go back to 2002 um you know laptops were kind of just starting to develop mm -hmm. and kind of coming to their own and uh you know wi-fi at that time i believe it was about 2003 where i saw the first portable MiFi type thing, cellular one, and uh, I quickly integrated everything at PSA, and they had done some scan stuff, but it was very, very rudimentary, and I helped develop their entire database of exemplars, and now I have a whole clouded exemplar database that mm. I could go anywhere with, so that's changed. I tell you, though, that the other stuff is basically remain the same and you know we have loops and ways to look at things and in dallas we have a video spectral comparator which is a, a fbi type machine where you could see you know you could take a piece of paper or a dollar bill or you know if i wrote on a piece of paper and i scratched out or erased it i could put it in this machine and it'll most likely see that eraser mark or if there's a removal on a baseball it really helps a lot so we have technology like that but I was using that at PSA many years ago. We got one recently at Beckett. Um, I started to work with a company uh, on developing a computer program as well to develop kind of like uh, yes or no within a certainty of someone's autograph. That has kind of gotten sidetracked because the work involved in it is extensive. And it was, it was crazy the work that needs to go into it. You know, the variables are out of control. Like, take Mickey Mantle, for example. And I'd have to provide them with literally hundreds and hundreds of valid Mickey Mantle examples through his life. Let's say from 1951 through 1995. But then I'd have to provide them on all different planes. Baseballs, bats, jerseys, flats, hats. You know, you name it. You come up with it. Gloves. There's all different various mediums, magazines, you just name it, you come up with it. And it required a lot of work. Then I had to find all the fakes of Mantle that were out there mm -hmm. and stuff that we could provide on all different. And it became just that was the first test subject and it became all encompassing to me where I just didn't have the time for it. So that's something we're still thinking about, but it wouldn't be a final decider but I think it could be a valuable tool if it was developed correctly and, you know, get to the point where you could say, okay, uh, you know, our, our system says there's a 95% chance this is his signature. And, you know, we could go with that and then go back to our team and say, okay, let's talk about this. And I think that is something we're, we'd love to have at some point, but it wouldn't be the final decider. Um, and also the technology we use now, uh, Beckett does, if I go remotely and I go to a, a show, and we enter uh, 10 um, autographs of whoever. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to think of like a common name. There's a lot of them, but obviously, but Harold Baines. If I enter 10 Harold Baines photos you submitted at the show and we enter them, they're clouded immediately. You could go scan um, the QR code on the Beckett cert on your photo and it'll pull it right up. It'll pull up the wow. item, uh, tell you what it is. So. That's changed, and we use that technology, and we're developing other stuff at Beckett right now that's still kind of in the works, so, but it's not easy, by the way. Yeah, imagine. Um, okay, so whenever I do these kinds of interviews, I go to my social media followers and see if they have any questions, and one of my followers, her name is Mary from San Antonio, Texas, she said she loves your show, by the way, uh, well, Thanks, Pawn, Pawn Stars and what you do also, um, she wanted me to ask you of... The thousands of autographs that you have seen, if you could pick one that you don't have, what would it be? Uh, that's a great question. Um, 
car. I, you know what? I would have said different a while back. Uh, there was, I know it's crazy, but if you've seen Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, oh, yeah. there was a guy named Des Webb. No one knows who this guy is. He's obscure. He literally doesn't exist. Des Webb was inside. Well, when they filmed Empire Strikes Back, the first place they went was Fensa uh, in Norway to film the snow scenes. Well, they have this creature that knocks Luke off the Tauntaun and drags him away. Well, they filmed it with a guy in a costume originally. Hmm. And they they kept some of that stuff in the movie, but it really very little made it. I, I don't even know if anything made it to be honest. It looked horrible. <laughs> and I really always the guy died many years ago, but I've seen one autograph of him. I think that would be a a neat autograph to have as a Star Wars collector. And I mean, I'm quite honestly I'm getting rid of most of my Star Wars stuff. And there's also one other Star Wars guy who was one of the pilots. His name's Graham Ashley, and I cannot. I've seen a few that are real, but most of them are of a Graham Ashley that played soccer. Mm. So it's it, there's like a big mix-up on the guy. He died literally right when the movie came out, 77. So I was a Star Wars hardcore collector, so those would fit the bill for me. And, you know, I've seen so many of great historical figures that, you know, I've kind of been there, done that. And, you know, maybe someday I would like uh, Abraham Lincoln for my wall, but I'm not even sure if I want that. You know, I mean, it, it's cool, but... Those are kind of things that fall in my realm. I think that would be neat to have. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I've gotten everybody or met everybody I could pretty much want to meet, and I, I'm not. I'm, I don't want to be greedy about it. It's been fun, man. I mean, that would have filled a void for a collection, I guess. But he's very rare. I've seen one ever. So. Wow, that's a pretty interesting answer. Okay, one more from uh, from the from my social media followers. So I got Tom, and he's from Boston, Mass. Um, city. Yeah, great town, great baseball town. Um, Pizza Regina. What's that? Pizza Regina. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Tom wants to know, have you ever deemed an autograph as phony but later found out that you were stumped that it actually turned out to be legit? Yeah, I think I want to say it was, uh, if I probably went back 10, 11 years there was a big one. There's a Christy Mathewson ball, and hmm. Mathewson died in the 20s, you know, um, great pitcher, left-hander. Um, but, you know, he went off to World War II, um, ended up being poisoned by mustard gas, ended up dying years later. Um, and or World War One, excuse me. I said World War II, I think. But um, I had deemed the ball bad, and I it kind of ate at me. I, I think it was about 2006, maybe 2007, mm -hmm. and I was out in Philadelphia to show and we rejected it. And I remember getting on the plane Sunday and flying back to the West Coast. And I had all that time to sit there. And I pulled up every Matthewson I had on my computer. I literally sat on the plane for hours and going back and forth. And I'm like, I screwed this up. And uh, oh, wow. let the customer know. And uh, I think the ball sold for like 100 and. 60,000 at the time, which is crazy, but um, we ended up certifying it. So, um, and there's other instances too. I mean, of course it happens, you know, like, sure. and I messed that up. Let, let's get that back and get them corrected. You know, there are times when people bury their signature or something looks different or something looks odd, and that happens sometimes. And we might reject it or just go inconclusive. And at the end of the day, if we do that, if we feel that we've made a mistake or we can correct the mistake, we definitely will try to do that. Sure, sure. Um, how good are the fakes getting? I mean, do they, are they like other counterfeit type people where they just they just try to match the technology to try to expose them? I, th I, I will tell you, I think that they're pretty good. Um, if you are able to do this, uh, Google, uh, it's, it's Don Henkel, mm -hmm. and I think it's H... E-I-N-K-E-L. Uh, the FBI, about uh, two years ago, and so just over two years ago, let's say uh, July of two years ago, um, raided his farmhouse in Michigan, and uh, it was like 40-something FBI agents. It's a big-time thing. Um, he was a master forger, and he had been operating in our business for, I don't know, I, I want to say close to mid-90s. I had really tipped off the FBI going back to O2 on them. And I'd worked with the FBI 
on maybe five or six things. So I had a, a access to some of the guys there, and I had been feeding them information for years on them. Uh, in 2008, I gave him a bunch of stuff as well. And finally, what he did, and this is where he screwed up. They, they really, people think like, you know, all oh, this guy's a forger, just call the feds. They don't, they don't really care. I mean, it's under their radar. But this guy started going, and I always say this, and this is kind of where even the person who doesn't understand autographs of this business, what he did is he was staying under the radar. And he wasn't really catching anybody's attention, even though he was uh, reported to the feds and they knew about him. But you know what? It still wasn't enough for them. It wasn't juicy enough. But what he did is he started forging artwork. And he was an artist originally. So he started forging artworks by artists that had passed away pre-World War II. Extremely rare. These guys are very rare, but well-known, but rare and sought after. And he targeted that. And, you know, uh, the Fed started noticing when, you know, stuff's going for three, four, five hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. And they're testing the ink on this stuff. And it's coming back post-World War II ink. Well, when the artist died pre-World War II or 1910 or 20 or 1890. And uh, they finally ended up acting on it because they just couldn't ignore it anymore. It's too much. And, um, and it's not that they were ignoring it, but I just don't think it was sexy enough for him, actually. Um, it's amazing what the guy was able to do and, and accomplish. And now what we see, and I'll tell you, I, I, I hate Funko Pops. I'm not a big fan of those damn things. But my God, man, there is a band out of, uh, not a band, but a, a group of forgers in Europe that use these auto pen machines. They only run three, $400. You could find them, I think, on Amazon. And you can copy anybody's matrix. So if you have a Chris Hemsworth autograph that's real, you could copy it and get the machine to pump those out. And they'll take these, uh, any kind of medium. You could use Funkos because they go for so much. And they use big, thick paint pens on these things. And they're using auto pen machines on Funkos like crazy. That's just one of the new things that we've seen. So. Wow. You know, as you're answering me, I'm reading on this guy, Henkel. I just pulled him up real quick. Yeah. yeah, that's this dude. He racked up some money, man, selling some fake BS. He really did. And, and I will Holy. tell you, as gracious as um, the FBI was, I've met with them twice on it. And uh, last November, I visited one of their field offices outside Chicago and spent almost four hours uh, meeting with one of the lead uh, guys on the case. And I had a chance. He, he let us see kind of what kind of damage this guy's done. And the thing that this guy did, which is crazy, he kept insanely detailed records. He created provenance. He created all kinds of stuff. You come up with it, he created backstories. He created people to front it. His brother was a former cop, and his brother was pushing this stuff for him. Jeez. He had dealers positioned in places. He was going through auction houses, uh, eBay, anywhere he could get the stuff out. Any kind of backstory he could come up with, he came up with it and used it. And it was, it, I could go on and on here for hours and hours, but the stuff I saw was amazing. And I, I hope in the next year or so they're able to wrap it up and, you know, get him in the court because I know he's been indicted. So, um, yeah. it's a really great, dude, if you want to spend time on it, go look at it. So it's, it's, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah. Just, just in five minutes, I read that he, that he, that he, he had a Lou Gehrig bullcrap bat for 120,000, a Babe Ruth bat for 60,000. I, I saw the Gehrig bat. I held it. Wow. And, um, and the FBI uh, brought it to the National Sports Collectors Convention last year in Chicago, and they requested to meet with a handful of people at the show. I was one of them. Our group at Beckett was. And they showed us the bat, and they showed us an x-ray of the bat. And if you don't know about baseball bats and collectibles, I could explain it very quickly, especially the old bats. There are no archives. Um, if you ordered from Louisville Slugger, you know, they, you knew how many they would get. You could go, the records are out there. It was published in a book by Vince Malta and uh, John Tobby uh, back in like 2002 or something like that. But all the bat records are there. So this guy, Lou Gehrig, looked up a Lou Gehrig bat. Um, and they have the weights on there, the size, all that stuff. He was able to weight it perfectly, got the size right, the game use, the stampings, everything, okay? Everything. And in the middle of it was like a metal rod to weight it properly. Wow. It was insane. I mean, at the last I talked to the feds about it, 
they still don't really know how he created all of it. It's wow. really like a piece of artwork. And it was it was insane. And all the bad guys loved it. It looked like a real game used bat. And then, Jeez. you know, it, it matched up. Everything was perfect. But lo and behold, it was one of this guy's fakes. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, it really unbelievable. hopefully he'll get what's coming to him uh, at some I point. I really do. All right, so let's talk about Pawn Stars. I mean, everybody, that, that uh, all my followers are wanting me to get into this, of course. Sure. Um, wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't get into this part. Um, yeah. Plus, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. So tell, tell the listeners, how, how did it happen? How did you end up on one of the biggest shows like, on TV? Yeah, I, I think I lucked out. I, by the way, I watched it way before I was on it. But yeah. to, to make a really long story short, in 2009, um, uh, the producers for Pawn Stars, because produced by a, a company, and at the time it was Left Field and uh, now it's ITV or vice versa. I don't even know anymore. I get confused. But at any rate, um, a production company makes the show. They approach PSA about could we get an autograph expert on the show? PSA said at the time, we're working on other projects with another company. We can't. Okay. Well, it was kind of funny. I'd say from 2009, which I think they debuted through like 2010, 11, every six months or so, we would get a call from someone that worked at the pawn shop. And it's funny how I found out all this information. I mean, I knew they were calling and they talked to my assistant or our operations manager and Turns out I was a bad guy that worked at the pawn shop that was just trying to get money out of us. Oh That's another God. story. But wow. he, they, he's like, well, yeah, we want PSA, but nah, you know, can you guys, we want to be paid for it. And I'm, we're like, no, thank you. We appreciate it. Mm -hmm. So I want to say about, and I know the timeline, sometime in, in September of 2012, the guy they had on, Drew Max, who is uh, no longer with us on planet Earth, and Drew just quite frankly, wasn't really good at what he was doing at all. And he was a local guy in Vegas, so it was easy for them. Um, and his company was, you know, not great. But at any rate, uh, he cost Rick a substantial amount of money. And when I say substantial, I'm running into 40000 $50,000. And I think the last piece he had advised Rick to buy was a printed Napoleon Bonaparte that Rick had paid like $12,000 for. So at that time, I think they had had enough of it. And... They were kind of in a flux period, and they didn't want him on the show anymore. And uh, from 2012 filming through the beginning of 2013, they didn't have anyone. So early January, they're up against the wall. They're starting to film after Christmas because we were on a different schedule back then. And uh, my boss at the time, Joe Orlando, goes, hey, do me a favor. Give this number a call. And I'm like, okay. I said, hello. This is Steve Grant. Uh, and the other line was her name was Kara. And she's like, oh, I'm the casting producer for Star Wars, or Pawn Stars, sorry. See where my head's always Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. We, want to get you, we want you on the show. We really want to do this. And uh, hmm. I said, yeah, it's, I think it would work. So literally a week and a half later, I was in Vegas filming. Uh, first two episodes I did were, uh, I think, uh, Kiss signed gold record on the glass. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, it's the first one I ever did. And I want to say the other one was... Uh, a bat phone, a red bat, like from Batman, which mm -hmm. I, I wish I would have got one signed years ago, but um, signed by, I think, Adam West. And those are the first two pieces I did. It was my introduction to the show and the guys. And, you know, Rick had already known who I was from the business. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Yeah, Rick's kind of like on the periphery. He's, he's underneath, you know, but he knows what goes on. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rick had known me and we hit it off immediately, and that was January 2013. Um, I hope they asked me back for filming, you know, for the next season, which probably won't start, I would hope, until January. But um, I know they're in production on another show, and they're all over social media. They're traveling across the country now doing a show where they ask people to come bring them stuff. And um, Rick is up there all the time and chumbling the guys, asking people to come meet them on the road and it's kind of like a spin-off of Pawn Stars so um, I should be making you know God willing some appearances on there maybe I have or haven't but you don't know that um, but I hope so and hopefully I'll be back for another season which would be my 10th year so that's kind of honestly how it started and, and the great thing about it is I hit it off with Rick so well Rick's a great friend of mine 
Um, he, he's really one of my better friends in the world. The guy would do anything for me. And, I, you know, he's just a great guy to hang out with. We have a lot of fun. And I, I will tell anybody that asks this, they're like, what's Rick really like? I'm like, he's literally a walking encyclopedia. He reads nonstop. Wow. Book after, after book after book after book after book. That's all he does is read. He's, a, he's compulsive. And he just wants a knowledge base. Like I, and I can say, how do you... Uh, how do you make a solar-powered engine or something crazy? And he'll tell me exactly how to do it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I can tell when I, when I watch the show, I can tell, like, when people bring stuff in, he just, like, just instinctively just tell them, tells the history of what that what that item might be. He's, like, very versed. He really does. And I think that I think that we have a good rapport. Um, I love working with him. Um, I get to work with, you know, all the guys. And, you know, I, I like working with all of them, but Rick is like, to me, like, we just have this great back and forth, you know, through the years. And you develop that after being with someone for so long and being around them. Mm -hmm. And I've been on the road with those guys. And um, and I think probably as I reflect back on the work I've done, it's about 130 shows maybe. I've kind of lost track over the last few years. 150. Maybe, more, maybe 140. It could be more. I don't know. My, um, my, research, actually, my research said 150. Hi. So my research at 150. Okay, so okay, so that's about right. Yeah. So I, 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 it's it's hard to keep track, and they've done about 600 now. But I will tell you that the coolest thing I ever still did is in October 2019 we went out overseas to England, and we filmed uh, in London uh, over the course of four or five days a bunch of Star Wars stuff that was just amazing. And mm. I'm not sure. If I've done anything cooler, it aired in December of 2019. I think right before Christmas. It's online everywhere. It's it's fantastic if you get a chance. That to me is like the pinnacle of what I was able to do with them because it, we were doing hour long episodes, and I literally was the feature of the whole episode to guide Rick on this buying experience and go to these different places and uh, see these amazing artifacts from Star Wars. And um, it really all came together. It was, very, it was well done. The show was well produced. There's a, you know, I will tell you this much, the guys who, and gals who all work behind the scenes are just fantastic people. They're great friends of mine, you know, and Rick was at my wedding recently. And, oh, you know, wow. the, they're good people, you know, and I, it's, it's kind of like a family. At first, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I never worked on TV. I'd done radio limited years ago. And here I am now filming a TV show. And I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. But <laughs> when I went over to London, was I have to be honest, man. I, I think the coolest thing to me, I know it sounds kind of geeky, but I think the coolest thing is when the camera guys get in the van with us and film us going to locations. I was like, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> I got to take yeah. pictures of this. I, I don't know if I'll ever get this again. So it was it was the neatest experience I ever had, and um, I'm thankful for it. You know, if it, if it by some chance ended soon, I would be upset, but I have so much to look back at and be thankful, and I hope to continue and, and um, you know, be part of that family. And not only that TV family, but the pawn shop people that uh, our gold and silver pond on Las Vegas Boulevard, um, great people and the whole staff there. And I know all the people that work there and I have, you know, great friends. And, um, you know, I live in Vegas, so uh, I see those people all the time and I'm at the shop pretty frequently. And um, I can't say enough good things, obviously, you know. Yeah, that's great, man. Well, I mean, based on what you're telling me, I, I, I would guess that, if there's a spot that Rick can put you on in that new show, he's probably going to. I mean, it's not a guarantee, but I would think you got a pretty good shot. No comment. <laughs> I feel you, brother. They're out there on the road now, and I think they have, if you guys go look on social media, you can look up Rick or Corey or uh, Chumley. They talk about it all the time, but they're out there on the road, and they're 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 really doing some cool stuff. That's what's um, up. I'm, I'll just hold my breath and just wait till it airs, and hopefully it looks cool. There you go. Um, talk about Rick's dad a little bit. I mean, I miss seeing him on the show. I'm a, I'm a Navy veteran myself, so I've always had a lot of admiration okay. for him. Um, well, yeah, just talk about him a little bit. Well, thanks for your service, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. We all do. Um, uh, his dad was, was a really great guy. I'll tell you, you know, I started January 2013, and he was not in a great spot even then. And 
I had probably that year and maybe the following year been booked to film with him. I was going to film with him. I'd come in there and, you know, I was supposed to be there with him and he basically was not able to film or just too tired. And I think that he was slowing down a lot and, and, you know, but I did get to spend time with him. I was always around him at the shop. He was the first person there every day. He <laughs> parked his car and back. He'd set the shop up. He'd check out all the cases before one person could walk in there when they opened. I think they opened at 9 o'clock. Before one person could walk in that door, he had to okay the whole place. Every time. Wow. He wanted to see all the cases, make sure everything was set up properly. Wanted to make sure it all looked good. And he said, okay, open it up. Every day he was there. He'd stay through the afternoon. He'd do some stuff with the guys. He'd still film occasionally. Um, but, you know, towards the end, it was very difficult. I spent, you know, the one thing I will tell you, uh, I got to spend that end time, right? Literally, I was with him two weeks before he passed away. Um, but he, he was in a, such a position where he was unable to speak and, yeah. you know, they had him in a wheelchair, but he was still, he'd still bring him in the store. Yeah. And I, I was like, my God, man, this, he's not doing great. And everybody felt for him. And he's still coming to the store. And uh, I told him what I, I remember I was out in California at the time and I, I lived out there and I flew to Vegas. Um, just what, what I used to do, you know, I still do it for the guys. I'll go look at collections or help them out. And I'd come into town to go look at a collection for them at a storage locker and then went back to the store and did some work. And I remember going in the office, his little office there, and right behind the show floor and back. And we just sat there and talked. I talked to him. And it was nice just to reflect and sit there with him. And it's the last time I ever saw him. And uh, it was a tough one for Rick. I was I was at the funeral and um, met a nice celebration afterwards here in Vegas. And um, he's a really nice guy. And, I, and I'll tell you, I can tell you this 100,000%. There is not one day that goes by that no one not misses him. Everyone misses him all the time. And the office is there downstairs that he had. And, you know, it was weird back when, um, you know, we used to, you know, maybe if we took five minutes off or were in the back and, you know, um, before, you know, if I'm there early or, or filming or not filming, I'd sit in the office and Rick and I would talk and the guys and, and maybe the producer. And um, But no one really uses the office anymore. It just kind of sits there now. And it's kind of like more of a shrine to his dad. Yeah. Has all pictures of his dad up there. Um, uh, my, my friend in England, Chris, did a wonderful, wonderful, amazing He's the most incredible artist I've ever seen in my life. And uh, he, you know, a freehand pencil sketch of his dad. And Rick was just stunned by it. it, it it's beautiful. And um, it captures him when he was in the Navy. So it, it's beautiful. And, uh, you know, Rick loved his dad to death. To period, loved him. Yeah, I could tell. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I know the history, you know, Rick and I spent extensive time together, you know, him growing up in San Diego and then moving to Vegas and Rick hustled. He worked hard. He worked at casinos. He worked on the streets. He had a pawn shop, him and his dad. And Rick is, he's the embodiment of his father, the hardworking people. They just wanted to get out there, make some money, do a good job. At the end of the day, have a nice meal, go to bed. That was his mm -hmm. dad. That's great, man. Appreciate yeah. you sharing those words. A lot, a lot of people were, were Wanted me to ask you about about the old man, so <laughs> I'm glad we did. We, glad we got it in there. A couple more things for you, and I'll let you go. Um, sure. And again, thanks for doing this. It's a lot of fun, so I'm having a lot of fun. Um, okay, so this is another social media question. Um, and my friend Delana, she's also from Texas. You didn't say where though. Um, she wanted to know what's the most single. Let me start over. What's the single most amazing autograph item you have seen on Pawn Stars? It's easy. And and that is one that is so easy that <laughs> I know like the back of my hand. It's the Beatles contract. And uh, Oh wow. Yeah. I could put you up there with the Han Solo blaster from Star Wars, but let's talk about history. I mean both are up there, but man, that that Beatles contract, that's their first contract. It was I mean, I think I, I was able to film with that my first season. It might have been first six, seven I did. And uh, I think at the time, I think Rick had offered him on the show maybe 300 grand or something, 250, I can't really remember. And uh, guy never took it. I think he wanted a half million or 600,000, which now I think is cheap. But 
it was it was incredible. So the story goes, Brian Epstein, and this is true, he told the Beatles, when I get your first deal, let's handwrite a contract. They handwrite a contract. When I get your first deal, we'll rip this up and we'll sign a real one. I said, okay. And that's what happened. He got them their first record deal. I think three of the four of them had witnesses. They had to. I think, um, let's say Ringo was older, I think. Or Ch I think Ringo didn't have a witness. The rest of them had to have their parents sign. Wow. And I held the thing in my hands. And, and, and obviously, a close runner-up when we were in England, the Han Solo Blaster. And we also did feature the handwritten script for Star Wars by George Lucas. So Jeez. So, that's kind of cool, you know? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Just a little bit. Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oops, thought I lost you a second. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, all right. Um, how has the show most impacted your life, being on Pawn Stars? Oh, God, that is a great question. Okay, how has it most impacted my life? Uh, I get recognized weird places. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Huh. Uh, I was in England a few years ago, literally walking down the street to go to dinner with friends of mine and this woman, her husband, and a little kid, couldn't have been more than like a year and a half, two years old, saw me and started yelling for me. I'm like, what's going on here? I'm, I'm walking in London, and they chased after me to get a photo with me. Oh, cool. um, that was weird. I think uh, here in Vegas, I'll get, you know, here's the thing. Like, people will look at me a lot and be like, man, the question I get the most is, where do I know you from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think, uh, wait a minute, did you did you go to this high school? And I'm like, no. And and lately, I've been telling people I just crush people's dreams. That's all. <laughs> yeah, you make you make some too, though, for people. Sit smart ass. I I used to tell people I said maybe the post office. <laughs> yeah, the wanted. I think it's one of those, but I, sometimes people don't get it and it'll kill them. And I'm like, you know what? It's going to kill you, but I'm not going to tell you. Oh, I'll man. make people guess. And sometimes, you know, if you're on a plane, that was the weird one. Just, just recently, yeah. it was during COVID, and I have a damn mask on. And I have a Southwest flight, maybe from here, Vegas to Phoenix. It's a 45-minute flight. I take it all the time. And I'm sitting there with my, uh, my wife, and I think I'm against the bulkhead. She's in the middle. And this older guy has got to be mid to late 50s, at least. He's like, hey, you're, you're that guy from Pawn Stars. I've got a mask on. I'm like, how are you? Wow. He's like, can I, can I get a photo with you? Now, mind you, the plane's boarding, all right? Yeah. And I'm like, well, and my wife is like, my wife Stephanie, she's like, no, this is not happening. <laughs> no matter what you do, it's not happening. But <laughs> it's all right. So he literally has a reach across, like, her, all these people oh, wow. taking, like, five selfies. Meanwhile, the whole plane's waiting to board. I'm like, Ugh. All right. Have a good day. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see why that could be awkward for sure in that situation. Is it, you know what? Honestly, I think the most important part is it's given what I do more recognition. And honestly, that's more gratifying to me than any of the stuff. I appreciate people when they say they watch the show. I, I, I really am grateful that people do and appreciate me on the show i'm i'm so respectful of it um i've met just a handful of people that have driven me crazy but i'll tell you the truth i've met so many people that are so nice to me i was at the national sports collectors convention in atlantic city you know uh in august and uh, i i was recognized late july early august it was late july and i was recognized i get recognized there a lot but you know i walk down the aisle, people are like, oh, that's the guy from uh, that show, that TV show, Plumstructure. Aren't you that guy? Oh, my God, what are you doing walking around here? And I'm like, well, I'm just a regular guy. I mean, do you, do you put one leg through and the other <laughs> leg through? Okay, well, then we're good. I right. mean, I'm fine. You know, it gets weird. You know, I've had people buy me drinks, and I've been in bars or restaurants, and it's it's nice, And but I don't, it's not like it makes me any more special than any other human being on the planet. Right. I'm just lucky enough to and fortunate enough to be able to do it. And, I, you know, I'm very uh, grateful for it, to be honest. And if people want to say hi, I don't bite. I'm, I mean, sometimes if I'm in the middle of dinner or I'm with my wife or, you know, having a drink and we're in conversation, which does happen sometimes. It's a little weird. But um, for the most part, it's not a problem. Here in Vegas, you know, people really don't bother me too much because they you know they, I don't think they really 
I, they, they, they might be like, wait, I think I know that guy. I'm gone. I'm not walking or in a car. Or someone, mm -hmm. people recognize me in a car. The phone next to me, like, hey, I know you, right? It's happening. It's weird. Yeah. Very strange. Probably have a hundred other stories I've forgotten. Those are some of the ones I do remember, yeah. and they're very odd. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm uh, an acquaintance of Mario Lopez, the actor Mario Lopez. Uh, he's actually posed with me on the back cover of my, my, I wrote a book about boxing several years ago, and uh, okay. he was really cool about doing the back cover with me. But he, 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 I asked him one time, he used to work out at the Walcott gym, I think he's still out there in, in, in that, that gym in, in Hollywood, it's on uh, Vine Street. Um, but I asked him one time about, about getting recognized, because I was actually in the gym, and he was on the, the um, exercise bike, and... Um, I used to cover boxing, by the way. That's why I was out there. I used to be a journalist for boxing, mixed martial arts. But I noticed, like, like Mario's on this on the exercise bike, and he's trying to get a workout, and he, and he was approached like five times while he's like on the bike for for photos. And so, a little later on, I see him walking out, and I asked him, I said, "Man, does that ever get old?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, Leo, not too bad." He goes, "But where I kind of do draw the line is when I'm with my family." With my girl trying to have dinner, you know that that that's a little bit a little bit much. And what your story, it kind of reminded me of what you were saying about about that. Well, being with being with Rick is being with Rick is challenging at times because you know we he, people will just literally they just jump right in at dinner with you, and I've, yeah. I've, I've, it's happened to us ten times, and they'll just literally just put themselves right on it, right on your table with it. Yeah. That that's not and, respecting boundaries. That kind of that was that would probably irritate me. Yeah, and that's where it's like, hey, we just want to go out and have a good time. You know, Rick has Pawn Plaza, which is next to Pawn Shop, and Rick bartends on Friday and Saturdays when he's in town. And uh, you know, the only thing he asks is buy a drink, and he takes breaks because he smokes. So he'll take a break every fifteen twenty minutes, go outside have a smoke, and then. Come on outside, let's get a picture. Just buy a beer, support the people, tip our wait staff, buy some food, that's it. And I'll take a picture or sign an autograph or whatever. He's great about it. Yeah. And that, you know, I think that, quite truthfully, uh, I, I think those guys get it much more, and Chumley does, and Corey, because they're just so visible. I'm just a little bit part, so you have to be a real fan of that show to know who I am. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, I'm probably just going to, you know, Grace by, I mean, I, I would say this much, 999 out of a thousand people walking by me have no idea who I am. And maybe even it's probably closer to like 900, 9,999. Yeah. That one person will be a, a fan of the show. Now, I think everyone's watched it in a hotel room or been on a, a bar or it's been somewhere. It's had to, okay? A restaurant. I've been in restaurants and I've been on the TV. I'm like, this is weird. But you know, at the same time, it takes a lot for people to picture it together. And I'll tell you how humble I am about it. And I truly am. I used to go in there, and they don't do it as much, but once in a while, I think it was, was pre-COVID because they haven't done it since then. But they'd ask us to come in and just on a Saturday, can you uh, come in for an hour and just sign autographs? And yeah. uh, people in the back of the store, of course, yeah, sure. And I did it a bunch of times. And uh as the years went on, I've done a bunch of them, and they, they'd have a TV going with playing clips of us up there. Mm. And it would all my clips. Oh, that's cool. And uh, people would sit there, and they'd look at the TV, and they'd watch it, and then they'd look at me, and they'd look at the TV, and they'd look at me. Huh. i say, yeah, it's me. It's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah, that's a true story. So, you know, even in the shop where I'm standing, people have no idea who I am at times, and that's fine. And I think the most humbling experiences for me is, and I can tell you funny stories, but I think the, the one of the funniest ones was Dan Castellaneta, who was the voice of Homer Simpson. Okay. And, and it was, I think, about 2017 or 18, I can't remember the year, and uh, a good friend of mine goes, hey, I got you a ticket. We have to, we're going to go to a table reading of The Simpsons episode. I'm like, really? I love The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan. So uh, we go to the table reading, and they have this huge conference table, and all the actors sit around, and they read the script. So it's unbelievably awesome. And around it are just all these chairs, and mostly it's Make-A-Wish Foundation and some charity stuff, but it's very limited every time. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, they, they give you a script, so you can go along with it, and afterwards, got up and 
gone to the various cast members, and Dan Castellaneta goes, he goes, hey, let me on the show. Oh, wow. And I'm like, uh, who put you up to that? He's like, what are you talking about? I said, my friends, did they put you up to that? He goes, no. I said, I love you on the show. He's like, what's Rick like in person? Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> and the, the other, one other one, because I think people get a kick out of this, is that flying from Toronto to L.A. Uh, a couple years ago, and I get on the flight, and immediately there's a guy bent over, grabbing his suitcase, and I see his butt crack. He puts his back up, he turns around, it's Kevin Costner. Oh, like, wow. This is, this is awkward. And then right behind him is Benicio Del Toro, and he, like, looks up at me, and he goes, hello. And I'm like, hi. So I get the back of the plane where I'm sitting, because they're in first class. Mm -hmm. And we land at LAX, and I go down a baggage claim, and Benicio's standing there. And uh, and he go, he walked up to me. He goes, uh, in his voice, what were you doing in Toronto authenticating signatures? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I was at a show. And he goes, oh, tell me about it. I, I love your show. I watch all the time. He's like, we have so much downtime. I watch you in the trailer. I watch you nonstop. Wow. Like, I know all the and I'm like, what? This Benicio Del Toro. That's crazy. Like, what? Are you Are you kidding me? And that's a true story. That, those are the things that I found kind of cool. Like, when I look back at it, I'm like, well, that's cool. And, you know, there's been sports guys that have, I've had long conversations with at shows and different athletes. And um, sometimes there's a celebrity here or there. They're maybe a lower list celebrity. I've been at a signing, and they want to talk to me about Pawn Stars. It's very strange very weird that believe it or not like Al Pacino watches Sports Center all the time because I've been in the signings with him and it's very strange but you know he sits there on a little TV in this room he sits there and watches Sports Center he loves football you know I mean it's like he's talking about TV with me I'm like you're Al Pacino yeah. <laughs> a little surreal moment there you know yeah it's just Al Pacino Absolutely. um alright man so last thing I got for you and then I'll let you um, close with some closing thoughts um, sure. This is I mean, you, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier in the interview, but just kind of reiterate here. What's some advice you can give or share with people that are thinking about buying or selling their autographed memorabilia? So buying, this, by, by the way, this is the one thing I hear all the time. Oh, I got it in person. I don't have to get it certified. Well, you know what? That was 25 years ago. Fair mm -hmm. enough. No problem. You're right. You did it. But times are changing. I mean, I can go back further. Back in the 80s and 90s, now people demand it. And it's not only in America, by the way. It's overseas. Um, and we do a ton of work overseas. I mean, I, you know, pre-COVID, I was in England at least three times a year for shows. I go, I'm going back now uh, over the, probably going the winter, but I was just there over the summer. And we do shows over there. People want it. They demand a, a third party say, well... I believe you. That's great, and I, the autograph looks good. But um, I need it. I need to know for sure. Now there are some people that don't care, and they have a good feeling. They're collectors. Those are usually the hardcore collectors. Like a hardcore Star Wars collector knows John Williams' autograph. He doesn't care if it's certified or not. He's putting it in a binder. But most collectors like to have their stuff certified. Get it certified. Please don't be too cocky about it. And I mentioned this before. We did touch on it. God forbid you pass away early or whatever. Mm. But man, that person left with your stuff. And I watched this happen to a friend of mine in New York, um, in New Jersey, passed away unexpectedly from a blood clot. He had an amazing collection. And um, he loved getting rappers and Tupac and Easy e and Biggie. All these guys are worth huge money and TV stars and, and, and um, movie stars. And his family was left with his collection. They just sold it to like secondhand stores. Oh, and man. Yeah, just, just, you know, think a little, that's all. And then if you're buying, you know, don't think you know it all. Like, I know people out there, and I'm not being a jerk when I say it, but you don't. And there's somebody better, like, forging. They're going to get over on you. Mm -hmm. Don't. I, the, one of the better stories I ever had, and this floored me years ago, is um, uh, an Avron Fogelman. I think it's Avron Fogelman, half owner of the Kansas City Royals for, for many years. Um, very nice guy. I mean, I think in um, Memphis, the freeway was named after him. I mean, that, that's how crazy it was. Mm -hmm. Driving the car with him, he goes, hey, uh, look over there. You see that sign? 
Avron Fogelman Highway or whatever. So if that's his name, I think it is. I went to his house years ago, and this is going back 2003. He asked us to come down, and he literally had a collection room that was alarmed twice, crazy security, and it turned out 90% of the stuff he had was bad. Oh, and he wow. was bought from bad auctions, and he had spent probably a couple million to make this room easy. And he had probably a million and a half dollars worth of stuff he had spent that was all garbage. Jeez. All junk. He goes, hey, see that case over there? I know that stuff is real. And it was all this Kansas City Royals, his World Series trophy that he had gotten, I think in 81 or whatever mm -hmm. they wanted. You know, but honestly, he was, he had gotten taken advantage of badly. He's buying, you know, Princess Diana baseballs and Mother Teresa signed baseball and Jeez. Abraham Lincoln uh, <laughs> on crazy stuff, you know? So, you don't know it. Just be careful because I, you know this in every walk of life, okay? You see, you said you were a bouncer. You've probably seen everything. You see the boxing industry. You know how crazy that is. Like, there's always going to be somebody out there that wants to take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. Period. Sounds going to change. One thousand percent. Man, I had a lot of. I had an absolute blast talking to you, man. But before we before we wrap this up, is there any social media you want people to know about where they can follow you or websites, things like that? Um, I guess Instagram is okay. Uh, the real Steve Grad, and then Steve underscore Grad on Twitter, and then obviously, please come visit uh, Beckett.com. Um, you know, or just type in you know Beckett Collectibles or Beckett Authentication, and come visit us on the World Wide Web. Uh, we got a lot of new great stuff happening. So I think we're going to offer some crazy services. I mean, man, people are getting VHS tapes graded. We do it. And it's revolutionary. I mean, I think an ET graded VHS tape seal just sold for something like seventeen thousand dollars. Oh I mean, wow! So we're doing that stuff. So if you have VHS tapes laying around, like you've had them wrapped up, especially something like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, The Godfather, you know, the classic movies, uh, it might benefit you to get those graded by our company. We have a great holder for it. And we're coming out with so much new stuff. Uh, we bolt collectibles, which is all brand new. Uh, we have a new facility in Dallas that's state-of-the-art phenomenal. And, um, you know, it's just a lot of fun doing this, you know. So I'd say Beckett's the place to go. Check out, um, you know, check out Beckett.com. And, and honestly, we have so much cool stuff coming out. I think it's it's kind of groomed for collectors. It's, it's kind of cool. So 